The Cosmic Adverse Podcast, written and read by Nick Perry. Book 1, Fireside Flush. Chapter 10, Marked to Die. The gray morning whisked her fingers along the tops of the patchwork of cream-colored tents as the sun overcame the night's grip on the earth. Sir and the others woke to the shrill sound of the Saramaja's battle horn. The army's commanders moved from tent to tent, waking up their inhabitants and barking orders to the groggy army. The young seraphim sat up on his cot and put on the rusted armor that was issued to him the previous night. He and the other men then hurried out of the tent and joined the rows of soldiers that had formed along the muddy road of the encampment. Sir shielded his eyes as he exited his tent. He and the others were welcomed by momentary blindness from the morning's brightness. The sun stood high over a hazy sky that only seemed to amplify the ball of fire's radiance. The boy squinted so he could see what was happening. Off to his side, Levine stepped out of an adjacent tent and joined the line of soldiers. The man was as tall as Sir, after all. Unlike Sir, however, Levine carried a sense of smug confidence that the boy had only seen in Vitti. Sir was relieved to see a familiar face in the sea of red, but the thoughts of his friends back home weighed in his stomach like a piece of lead. Sir reminisced of his days at the village as he stared at Levine. Minstrels had just played in the main gathering hall. The young seraphim recalled the back-breaking days on the farm. But mostly, Sir's mind wandered to his friends Lavu, Viti, Balu, Vera, and especially Roland. Sir wondered what fate had met his friends that fateful night when all that was familiar to Sir was destroyed by chaos and flame. The sight of armed guards walking past Sir snapped him back into reality. The army's general, a ceramage and full battle raiment, walked along the rows of men, inspecting what was obviously, even to Sir, a lack of military prowess among the recruits in the encampment. Sir noticed that Levine kept a keen eye on the ceramage. The ceramage general was soon joined by others, and they huddled together, speaking in low voices. Their ornate headgear, crimson steel tapered to protect the men's necks and decorated with jet black horns protruding from the front, would keep the men from making sharp turns with their necks. It was an obvious flaw in the design, Sir thought, and a weakness for the army. If a general allowed a blind spot on his armor for the sake of fashion, his army shall suffer greatly. One of the Saramage broke away from the others and climbed to the top of a nearby carriage, commanding the attention of the men in front of him. Men, break your rank and listen closely, he began, in the ragtag sea of red grouped around him. You are about to embark on the most noble mission of your lives. The barbaric armies of the south are coming to destroy your homeland. You have been chosen by Tandro Shugara, the protector of the Scorian throne, the flame's keeper, your god. You have been given the honor and privilege to wear the crimson armor of your forefathers to protect the land that has provided you your lives. We will not be overcome by the barbarians who would ride upon the wind and use the canta of the world in such a perverse manner. In this, we must fight these things both abroad and at home. Today, Tandros has called upon you to defend all that is just and free in this land. He is counting on you to deliver the heads of the winged mutants as trophies of your victory. We will push back the armies of Kagi, and we will defend what is rightfully ours. For the Creator, for Nevera, for Aferit, for Tendros. 
The Cerebons directly in front of the one speaking let out a loud roar of approval and began chanting, Tandros! 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 Soon the whole crowd chimed in, and Sir looked around to find Levine staring at the Ceramage on the carriage with that slight, smug grin that seemed to be frozen on his face. Sir turned back to the Ceramage, quieted the chanting to speak again. Today is the day, my fellow Crimson Warriors, he continued. Stain your army with the blood of the enemy, and we shall triumph. Fall into your rank and file. We shall march through Ferone Valley, where we shall meet our brothers in arms. Now is the time for our glory. Go, men, and be victorious. The Sea of Crimson had been whipped into a frenzy. The natives that had been rounded up by the soldiers took the Saramage's words to heart. They screamed the war cries of their tribes while others showed their teeth in a provocative manner. Even some of the displaced recruits fell into line with the natives, chanting and cheering as the Red Sea parted for the Saramage walking down the road. The boys followed behind their fearless leaders through the encampment, and the current pushed Sir into the crowd. This was it. They were going into battle. Sir swallowed as he watched, eyes wide, as the army's numbers grew as they marched out of the encampment. The young seraphim turned, hoping to see the man called Levine. The man was nowhere to be seen. The army marched their way in disorganized lines towards the hill that Levine pointed out to Sir the previous night. It loomed much larger than Javasi remembered. Over the hill, dark clouds hung over the valley. The valley acted as a natural bottleneck between the keeperdoms of Cornelia and Aferit. The natural border between the two lands was a large mountain range drawn by Trauber long before Tandros kidnapped the one and only daughter of Samuel Kagi. On one side lay Aferit in its lush jungles. On the other side stood a sandy beach that welcomed visitors to the vast ocean of Cornelia. High above that ocean, the floating isles of the winged keeperdom enjoyed a much different life than Sir had experienced in Aferit. Ferone Valley lay between the two smaller mountains. The valley was normally sunny and filled with a grassy plain. When Sir Seraphin trekked through this part of Nevera, however, it was a completely different scene. It took the young man and the rest of the Crimson Army roughly half a day to reach the mouth of the valley. Sir noticed that as he and the others ventured closer to the battlegrounds, the sky grew gray with a dense fog of war. Thick smoke masked the sun, reducing it to a beacon of piercing rays. During their march, the grassy plains slowly morphed to mud mixed with the blood of the fallen. Sir watched his battle-worn brethren pass by them. Their hollow features brought those traveling towards the battle site back to the grim reality that lay before them. Sir and the boys who fought in Frone Valley knew one thing was for sure. Many of them wouldn't be walking back. That truth became more pronounced as they got closer to the front lines. Explosions and screams, gnashing of teeth, reverberated through the crimson armor that each of them wore. The pair of mountains amplified the sounds of the skirmish. Those mountains must have a good view, Sir thought, like referees wanting to make sure we have a good and fair killing, huh? Cynicism is quite possibly the easiest emotion to latch onto just before one meets absolute death. It sinks into the pores as your skin crawls with the smell of death and your arm hairs stand on end, reacting to each blast. Sir felt this cynical survivor instinct wash over him as he walked through the valley. Sir's surrounding continued to grow darker. The mountain's shadows grew longer and dense. Smoke poured out of the valley as the day wore on. 
Another feeling permeated Sir as he walked with the others to meet death that day. Hope. It was hope that shirked off the feelings of dread and despair that surrounded the boy. It was, it was an odd feeling, knowing that an opportunity may present itself there on the battlefield. Would Sir be able to identify and take advantage of arbitrage in the middle of chaos? He didn't know. And their ceremonies leading the army didn't give him enough time to prepare for this possibility. In the late afternoon, the army finally completed its trike around the small mountain that separated the Africian encampment with the ongoing battle. The small mountain towered over them, and Sir got his first glimpse of the death and destruction that would be written in Varus history as the Battle of Ferone Valley. The first thing that caught the young man's eyes were the giant floating creatures, the Hajvan, floating high above the ground. Bright red phoenixes and oversized bald eagles maneuvered through the sky around these flying beasts, their riders engaged in mortal combat using the magics of their keepers. This movement in the sky guided Sir's gaze towards the ground where Wind Wakers, Kagi's elite soldiers adorned with ivory wings and regal cobalt armor, summoned tornadoes to make quick work of the sea of crimson bodies. The other young men stared in horror as the chaos before them showered images of severed bodies and crying survivors being shown the sharp end of the Wind Waker's pole arms. Sir checked the iron sword at his side. The blade, though rusting, would serve its purpose. He just hoped that he would be able to get close enough to the winged soldiers that far outpaced his combat skills. The Cerebage guided the lines of fresh bodies so that they stood lateral to the carnage before them. Then, the Cerebage positioned themselves at the back of the young men. Sir, as well as the others, realized that the Cerebage, trained in the way of Tandros's magic, would use the lines of boys to act as fodder for the Wind Wakers while they summoned their flame magic. Sir could see how well that was working for the boys down in the valley. The crimson soldiers collided with the Wind Waker army, and the ivory wings would churn through the ill-prepared like ground beef. The Saramage standing behind their lines attacked the enemy with red and orange-colored magic and could hold out just long enough to stave off the current wave of winged aggressors. Oh, what the fuck? One of the boys near Sir yelled as he realized how the Saramage were positioning them. We're gonna get slaughtered! "'What did you expect?' said another. "'At least a fighting chance,' yet another voice chimed in. "'It was nice knowing all of you. "'Yeah, save it for the worms.' "'The ceremony began herding Sir's battalion forward. "'It was their turn to go through the meat grinder. "'Move out!' the ceremony screamed. "'One of the young men broke away from the line "'and ran backwards in an effort to escape his fate. "'A ceremony noticed the boy going AWOL.' held out a hand, and engulfed the boy in flame's final embrace. The boy dropped, crying out for his mother as the fire burned the boy's skin to a crisp. He held out a single hand towards whatever freedom remained behind the others, a look of fervent desperation forever branded onto his face. The ceremonies continued hurting the crimson soldiers toward the front lines. For Tandros, they yelled, trying to keep up a morale that had dissipated. The time had come for Sir Seraphin to witness death from the hands of the Scorian throne for a second time. This time, however, that death was joined by blood on the hands of the Keeper of the Wind. Sir realized that he would probably die here today, whether it was by the steel blade of a pole arm or by being trampled on by the surrounding megafauna. It took a moment for the young Seraphin to realize that he and the others were not alone. Giant elephants, elephants that could breathe fire driven by Saramage riders, joined in the fight. It was one of the many reasons why the ground shook with an ever-present quaking. Sir steadied himself and unsheathed his iron sword. 
He joined the lines of young men, increasing his gait until he and the others were in a full sprint towards the enemy. Sir found himself in the third row of men and decided to keep himself there. He could have run much faster had he tried. His adrenaline would have kept up with him. The young seraphim, however, decided to keep back and let the others meet their end first. That might give me an edge, the boy thought, albeit a short-lived one. The crimson soldiers entering the fray yelled at the tops of their lungs as they met the wind wakers head on. The previous lion's ceramage had moved out of the way. The next round of reinforcements had at last arrived. Many of the crimson soldiers, for better or for worse, had accepted their fates as martyrs for Tandra Shigara, but Sir Seraphin continued to believe that this was only going to be the first of many times of great bloodshed. He felt on that day that death would haunt him beyond his experiences in Verone Valley. There was no clash of metal upon metal. At least, it wasn't an instant meeting of blades. Sir looked up to the sky and watched as a winged man, riding an oversized bald eagle, kicked his mount, signaling the eagle to release a giant bomb gripped by its long, black talons. As the bomb fell towards the earth, Sir's eyes widened with the realization that it was coming right for him and the young men in his battalion. Oh, shit, he whispered. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Cosmic Adverse Podcast. I hope you enjoyed uh, Chapter 10, Mark to Die. You can find us on our website, CosmicAdverse.com, on Twitter, at Cosmic Adverse. And you can also uh, find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on TuneIn, all of the major podcast directories. Feel free to leave feedback. Let us know what you think. Um, let us know what you like and don't like. Otherwise, talk to you next week.